This week, coming to you from Tuaco in the North Waikato, the Research Funding Accelerator is going to look at the subject of research office structures. Nothing, it seems, causes more contention amongst researchers, stakeholders and end users. And if you're one of the many who have ever lamented the bureaucracy in universities that prevents you from doing research, then do keep listening. Welcome to the Research Funding Accelerator, where Dr. Tracy Swift, author of How Smart People Win Research Funding in New Zealand, provides a weekly commentary on strategies, tactics, and techniques to help researchers make their proposals more competitive and increase their odds of winning funding so they can do more and better research. Many of you have lamented the fact that university administration is so cumbersome and sometimes perhaps you feel that it gets in the way of you doing research. How many of you either wish you could have more flexibility and less rules or perhaps you've even tried to circumvent the system and move ahead faster? In my experience that happens to a lot of people. So today we're going to talk about research offices and structures particularly but not limited to universities. Often there's a question about which structure is best. Is it devolved? Which means that um, the support functions are typically hosed at a local level, which is either at a faculty or in a department, or should they be centralized, which means that they're part of the central administration. Universities tend to spend a lot of money and a they have a deep interest in comparing their structures to each other and they spend a lot of uh, time benchmarking. But this doesn't, in my experience anyway, necessarily help them to move ahead and to design something better. What does the future hold for research offices? Well, I believe and I would actually hope that the research office of the future will look very different to what we see today. In fact, Everywhere we look around us, there is change and disruptive technology, so much so that we're very familiar now with particularly apps or software that changes the way particular industries and sectors react. So we think about typically Uber or Airbnb, online shopping, Amazon, online banking, everything that changes what we do now. 
we accept and we embrace change. So wherever we go in the world, typically we expect Wi-Fi and data roaming and we just expect that things will continue to get better and more innovative and typically we embrace those disruptive technologies and we look forward to seeing what will come out. But there seems to be a bit of a contrast to me in any case because we look at what much of what we do as researchers is about innovation and change and yet the structures or the administrative functions around what we do don't seem to change. And often those support structures, typically housed in research offices, they're often old and tired and not necessarily fit for purpose. So in today's post, we'll actually look at three horizons, the immediate, the short to medium term and the long term and what this might mean for the research office of the future. The three horizons framework that I'm proposing to you today comes from McKinsey, the McKinsey company, and it's typically applied to businesses. However, there's no reason why it shouldn't be applied to research and research office functions, which typically because of the scale and the dollar value of what they look after for a university is not dissimilar to a small business in many ways. So Horizon 1 is actually concerned with current and immediate improvement. As I mentioned a moment ago, universities tend to spend a lot of time and money on benchmarking, particularly around their administration costs with others in their sector and internationally. Why is it important or why do senior management teams think it's important? It's because it gives a measure of efficiency we can tell what the overall spend is by an institution per academic or per million dollars of research income. It gives us a measure of um, productivity that we can then compare and contrast across the sector to see whether we're spending more on administration than others typically and what that means in terms of size. It gives us like-for-like like comparisons, particularly if we're in a country like New Zealand where all universities in the sector use it. It helps us to see what functions are being employed by research organisations and what the balance is of FTE or full-time equivalent roles associated with each function. So what are some of the common research office functions? Around the research project life cycle, we typically have five functions. One is development, the second is pre-award, the third is award, the fourth is post-award, and the fifth being commercialization and development. These are typical long-standing headings for each of these functions. And I'll spend a moment telling you what kind of goes in each area. So when we're talking about development, we're particularly talking about idea generation, relationship brokering, uh, vision motoranga, the end user engagement. When we talk about pre-award, we're talking about essentially supporting particular research funding proposals and the activities might include proofreading or portal submission or checking eligibility gui guidelines and requirements. 
And then once the award is made, there's a little area in between the pre-award and the post-award that revolves around the contracts and the agreements and getting everything established, whether it might be with HR and organising appointments and job descriptions for new hires to fit with the research grant. It may also even include obtaining ethics approvals. Once all that has happened and the research actually starts, then we move into a post-award phase where there's reporting, all the performance monitoring frameworks that researchers have to comply with to demonstrate that their research is actually uh, achieving value for money and is meeting the contractual requirements in terms of deliverables and milestones. And then finally, there is the commercialization and development, which is about licensing, inward investment. It's about getting the research closer to the market. Now, I've given you these five research functional areas. They are the ones that are most typically employed across universities, regardless of which country the researchers are operating in. But somehow, in the modern day world, these functions typically tend to be like that old oak tree where they have a very compliance function and that's what's continued over the years and over the decades and may no longer quite fit. So the way I described those five headings to you or five functions was typically in a sequential or linear fashion around that project life cycle. Whereas what we know now and the way that modern researchers work is many of those functions overlap. And so the commercialization and development may be right up there at the very beginning along with um, development and, and pre-award. It does beg the question though as to which functions need to be central, i.e. which ones need to be in a centralized uh, office and, and why they might need to be there. So typically you have your award, which you'll remember I talked about being ethics, uh, contracts, agreements, and the post-award, which is the reporting, uh, receiving the payments from the funder, organizing the payroll, and uh, looking after the audits that uh, typically surround those grants, and perhaps the commercialization, which is around that licensing and the inward investment. They are typically functions that stay within uh, a central office. And the reason why that's the case is because there are contractual and legal obligations and sometimes some fiduciary and financial obligations where the liability is attached to the entity or the organisation. In the case that, that we're looking at today is universities and it's not the researcher themselves. So those functions tend to sit in a, in a central way because they're looked after by the institution for the institution. So a question that arises is how can benchmarking be used to improve these kind of functions? Well, what universities typically do is they look at themselves and they can isolate their own data and they can compare their own achievement, their own performance, their own number of FTE per function or the number of dollars they spend on wages 
for example, and they can compare and contrast that with the, the mean and the median for the rest of the sector. And so that enables them to see how their effort, and particularly those of the rest of the sector, are related to the external research income that is actually coming in for those other institutions. And then they can see whether, in fact, they might be a bit light on the FTE that they've allocated, or maybe they've got too many and they're not achieving the same ratios of productivity and effectiveness. So benchmarking really should enable you to do something, which often is around optimising each of the functions. But I do believe that there's too much emphasis on compliance, and I think that that's a function of where the research offices typically started many years ago, was in, in looking at how those um, in-university in functions around finance and HR and other functions should be um, complied with. And I think that in many cases, research offices have become like that tall, strong oak tree. They're no longer resilient or flexible, and they don't tend to recognise change. And a particular way I see this is in the development and the pre-award functions, which I see that there's a lot of effort being spent on preparing proposals for submission in the portal, perhaps the external funder portal. And that's an activity that some academics, those that are not particularly tech savvy, they appreciate it. But in my experience, um, I find that most academics dislike internal deadlines for getting comments on their proposal or just getting proofreading. They don't see that as a value-added activity and in fact they find it really annoying. And I think the limiting thing about benchmarking around current functions is that it encourages the growth of the oak tree and not the reeds. According to the McKinsey framework of Three Horizons, about 70% of the overall effort of a research office should be spent on improving Horizon 1. And there are many ways in which that can be done. So it could be around some of those funding rounds. We've mentioned in earlier podcasts about the Endeavour funding round or about the HRC funding round or Marsden. And so some of those functions could be designed to give a better added value service so that extraneous things, perhaps like sending out newsletters from the internal office, are uh, done away with. Those are things that people, that research offices can stop doing in a way to actually then get much closer to the research and the researchers and be doing things that researchers really appreciate. If we're to look at Horizon 2, Horizon 2 is really about the short to medium term. It's about looking three to five years ahead. And if you were to think of a research office three to five years ahead from now, I believe that they would require very different things. And they wouldn't be talking about pre and post award, for example. Um, in my experience, when you talk to researchers in universities about what they would like to see three to five years ahead, they're talking more about things like horizon scanning for new opportunities where new funding may be that they haven't tapped into yet. 
and where they don't have the time to um, scour the, the guidelines and the notes, they would expect their research office to do that and to bring those opportunities to them and to their awareness. Three to five years out, researchers typically want more horizon uh, scanning. They want more strategic alignment of their disciplinary or interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary groups so that they feel that they're moving ahead. And while they do seem to recognise that that means that some research will be um, uh, less privileged in their organisation than others, but they recognise that in order to maintain strength and to be able to grow research for the whole organisation, that the focus needs to be on things that are current, they address the wicked problems, or the big problem challenges. In my experience, researchers, if they're looking three to five years out, they want incentives from their organisation. They want postdoctoral fellowships, for example, that can be aligned to their research groups and projects. And more often than not, they ask for grant writing expertise. They don't want the check my proposal for grammatical errors, but they want help with prior art assessment, literature reviews, writing implementation pathways and the market expertise. And they want to see people face to face in their offices to discuss their research. They don't want a research office factory somewhere within the bowels of the organisation, but they want a personal relationship with the administrators that are helping them so that they can see genuine value add and relevance to what they do. So let me ask you, can you see the possibilities for your university if you were to look at a three to five year horizon for a research office? And don't you wish that you'd had this information three years ago? Just imagine what change you could have actually affected. Now in the McKinsey framework, the third horizon looks at the long term, which is 10 years out. How many universities do you know of that take a 10 to 20 year look at strategy for their administration? I think there are very few, but I also find this quite strange because of all the institutions in the world, universities have some of the longest longevity, perhaps next to churches or some ancient societies like the Knights Templar, for example. But if research offices were to look 10 years ahead, what structure do you think they would have? Would much of their work be done via apps and Facebook, for example? Or the successor to Facebook, perhaps? Would more of what they do be automated through better software? And which partnerships, either internal to the organisation or external in terms of end users would they have? Having talked to many businesses that do not understand the complex structures of universities and they find it hard to engage, we see that relationships take time. So if you're looking 10 years ahead into the kind of university that you want to be and to have that global reach and significance or perhaps the reputation for a particular type of research or suite or portfolio of research strengths, then what does your research office need to do to actually support you as an organisation to get there?
So with businesses and, and also in our country with the iwi and the hapu, it takes time. They tend to want a special relationship. They're not just interested in some industry seminars where it's not for them specifically. They want something special and all of this takes time. So the McKinsey model around the three horizons is that 10% of the effort should be expected, expended on horizon three. And let me ask you, how many of you would like an agile, responsive and proactive research office to support your research based on the three horizons framework? What might that mean? Well, I think there are probably three discrete benefits. First, it would significantly enhance the relationships with researchers, end users and stakeholders, both internally and externally to the organisation. There would be that face-to-face -face interaction and there would be that agility and flexibility in terms of the reads to be able to address what researchers need in real time. Secondly, it galvanises the effort of the research office with the rest of the university so that the whole organisation can be behind the academic strategy that guides the um, academic integrity and freedom around research. And thirdly, I believe that it focuses the effort to understand functions and services in a value-added way that will increase external research research income and take the emphasis off compliance only, which I think is vitally important. So if we return to our opening story, the way of the future for research offices is not to be like the old oak tree next to the stream. The functions and services need to be like reeds that can be agile and adaptable to changes within the funding landscape, the organisational context and the innovation brought about by researchers themselves. I firmly believe that the way of the future is to adopt an agile way of working that lends itself to a Three Horizons framework. And by agile, I mean that the teams and functions in a typical research office, remember we talked about development award, pre-award, post-award, etc. I believe that those teams and functions should be configured into product teams. So that means that people or their roles would come together in a temporary team with a specific goal in mind, an outcome. It's not a project team, it's a product team. So in our New Zealand context, for example, that might be around the MB Endeavour round. So there would be a desired outcome, which is a product in its own right, and everyone works to one end. Or it could be about discovering all of the funding opportunities and the eligibility requirements and supporting a particular research group to achieve a certain income level and that would be the product and everybody works to that and then the team gets disbanded and reformed into another product team at the end. In my experience what happens all too often in research offices based on functions is that there is a sense of that's not my job and the handovers between functions, which is not always apparent to stakeholders or researchers, is where the issues and the irritations lie. Whereas if you had a team that were, and working in tandem with the researchers, then I believe that that would ensure that you ended up with those products, the outcomes that you needed. 
So if you don't take action now, you will always be growing your research office as if it is a mighty oak. Do you see the unique opportunity that I'm presenting to you here of creating an agile research office with a 70-20-10 expenditure of offit on immediate three to five and 10 year goals? I hope you tune in next time. And remember that bending like a reed is not weak. It is in truth, real strength and vitality. Thanks for listening to the Research Funding Accelerator. For more, follow Dr. Tracy Swift on Twitter at Dr. Tracy Swift One.